Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. After seven weeks in the book of Revelation, how many people are ready for a regular Christmas message? There's a few people who are like, oh, okay, I'm just, a nice Christmas message should be fine. Thank you very much. Uh, The title of the message today is, There's a Dragon in My Nativity. Maybe some of you have seen over my shoulder that we have a dragon, yes, in our nativity as well. Some of you might be wondering, after seven weeks in Revelation, where do I turn in my Bible? I'm so used to the end. I'm starting in Genesis here. And uh, you don't have to turn there because we're going to bump around through a few scriptures and then we'll get to our main text for today. If there was a question to guide our time together today, it's this. If Christmas is supposed to be about good news and peace on earth, why are things still so bad? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever felt that? Yeah, it's a real thing that many people feel. And I want to just bring a few scriptures to you that set up where we're going today. In Genesis chapter 3, and you can follow the key lines along on the screen, it says this in verse 14, after the fall of humanity, God investigates what's going on and there's dialogue between God and Adam and Eve and yes, the serpent who is there. And so God begins delivering the consequences of their collaborative effort together. And in verse 14, he speaks to the serpent saying, cursed are you above the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust. Isn't that great, eat dust? That's God speaking to the devil there. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and, uh, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. You will, uh, with pain you will give birth to children. In Psalm chapter two, which you see on the screen there. I'm going to actually read a little bit more than what you've just seen on the screen there. Psalm chapter 2 is one of the most quoted psalms in the whole New Testament. And beginning in verse 7, it says this. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your begotten, or I have begotten you, sorry. I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance The ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron rod. And then in Romans chapter 16, it says this, as Paul is concluding his letter to the church in Rome. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Have you ever read that and thought, when does that happen? How does that happen? Why am I involved in that? (laughs) Maybe the bigger question for us today as you look at these three scriptures on the screen would be, what in the world do these have to do with Christmas? Maybe the book of Revelation has our answer. Um, Some of you were thinking, oh really? About that question or that comment? Maybe the book, yes, it is a trap. Uh, For the Star Wars people, this is a trap. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Today we're at a convergent moment where 
Yes, our Revelation series for the fall has concluded, but we are beginning Advent, and in chapter 12 of Revelation, which is our text today, we discover that there is a dragon in the nativity. Revelation chapter 12 is where we're going. For those who just need a little bit of a sort of catch up on some important things to understand about the book of Revelation, the issue that is being addressed with the letter of Revelation is that many of the first Christians were being pressured so severely by culture, society, and outside influences that they were having to weigh out compromise or faithfulness. And maybe you and I have felt at times in our own lives that when things get bad or when things are difficult, maybe compromise seems a little more like an option. Maybe drifting away in faith just ever so slowly or slightly doesn't seem as threatening. So compromise or faithfulness is an important question, and Revelation helps bring an answer. The other thing that's so important to remember about the book of Revelation is it's apocalyptic literature. Very vivid imagery, exaggerated, embellished symbolism to make a very, very strong message and strong, strong point. And chapter 12, where we'll be today, is very, very apocalyptic. Uh, A few weeks ago... I offered to our church family that one of the ways we could think about the book of Revelation is as if it was like a song. And songs have a verse, they have verses sometimes, they have a chorus, they repeat the chorus, and then there's sort of an outro that can occur. And chapter 12 in the book of Revelation is sort of the beginning of the big ending. Some songs, when sung, especially a generation or two in church, featured a very big ending where you would slow down the final line or the final time through the course and really, really build it up. So it would slow down but kind of get louder and bigger and more dynamic as it came to a triumphant end. And that's what happens in Revelation chapter 12 all the way through about 20. And then the the real end happens in chapter 21 and 22. So the big ending begins in chapter 12, where we are today. And most scholars would say, when looking at the book of Revelation, that chapter 12 is the axis point. It is the pivot point in the whole book. It is the central scene in Revelation. So let's buzz our way through this chapter and then capture a few things that we just can't miss from it. It says this, beginning in verse 1. A great and wondrous sign. Can everybody say sign? You said that like you're disappointed we're in Revelation. Like sign. A great and wondrous sign. sign appeared in the heavens. A woman clothed with the sun. With the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain. As she was about to give birth. Then another sign. Can you say sign? Sign. Then another sign appeared in the heavens. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Just as a side there. Uh, There's, you know, we've been picking up through Revelation. There's like some good numbers symbolically and then some bad numbers. So this is a bit of a mixed picture, isn't it? There's this dragon, bad, and then sevens and tens. Those are good numbers appearing in Revelation. I think we're supposed to feel the conflictedness of this image. And in a way, isn't that what the dragon is like? Boasting of completeness and goodness, but at the end of the day, a fiery, red, enormous dragon. Not a little lamb. The dragon, uh, sorry, let's begin in, uh, go back to verse, beginning of verse 4. His tail swept 
a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment he was born. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched up to God on his throne. The woman fled to the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Again, not a specific number. We've seen this number, three and a half years appearing in the last few chapters. It means a short period of time, a limited time. And we understand from the previous chapters, this is the period of time that the people of God are caught in the crunch between an uprising, uh, you know, dark kingdom that's not too thrilled about Christmas and Easter. And there was war in heaven. Michael the archangel and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. Listen to verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been thrown down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has been thrown down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she could be taken care of for a time times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Just a couple comments there really quickly. The eagle's wings uh, for the early church who was steeped in a, a Jewish background, as we are, we just don't have the same awareness or knowledge of it, but for them, they would have been brought back in their memory banks to the deliverance of the people of God out of Egypt. Awful, evil oppressor, a dragon-like pharaoh is after God's people, chasing them around, and in uh, Exodus 19, God speaks to his people and says, I'll carry you away or I'll bury you up on eagle's wings. It was his way of saying, I'm bringing you to my safety, to my rescue. You will be saved. And so that's why this woman is given these eagle wings. Now, what's with the time, times, and half a time? It's a fancy way in Revelation for, again, referring to three and a half years. So again, limited amount of time, the time that God's people are caught in the crunch between clashing kingdoms on earth. Verse 15, then from the mouth of the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away in the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Who is the dragon? Well, it's actually made quite clear, uh, though Revelation often resorts to figurative language, it says right there, this is the serpent, this is the devil, this is Satan. I guess the next question, which would be a fair one, is who is the woman then? And there's probably four answers to it. And 
In the spirit of Christmas, let's point out the obvious one. Mary, right? There are distinct and very clear parallels in the parable of this apocalyptic story between the woman and Mary, aren't there? But as we study the whole of Revelation 12, we'd have to realize this is also Eve. This is a four-dimensional woman. It's Eve, it's Israel, it's Mary, and this is also the church. It's interesting because we're not just um, spectators of the Christmas story or the nativity. When we realize who the woman in the story is, that it's also the church, we realize we're not spectators, we're participants. We're part of this story as well. So what do we need to know about the dragon? What do we need to know about us? Revelation 12 gives us three things that we must know about our enemy and three things that we must do to overcome. Let's get into them quickly. Here's the first three things on the dragon. The first is this. The dragon is bent on accusing. The dragon is bent on accusing. If you look in verse 10, it said this. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. Satan, or even grammatically from Greek to English, we could just say the Satan. It's like the accuser. That's his job description. That's the mode he's taken up in heavenly interference and earthly interference is to bring accusation. We certainly see as you go back into Genesis, we haven't looked at it today, but earlier this year in our series in Genesis, we see that one of the ways the enemy accuses or does this work is actually accusing God before humanity, causing us to doubt him or question him. What we see in this text today is the opposite focus, that the enemy is trying to find ways to bring accusation about us to God. And unfortunately for us, it's as if our minds can kind of sometimes pick up on the echoes of these accusations, can't they? There's times that we don't feel convicted, which is a spirit work. Instead, we feel condemned. That's a serpent work. That's dragon kind of stuff. There's echoes of accusation that our minds pick up on, and they're not always comfortable. And a lot of times, if we look at them, they might be reduced to something like this. You're not worthy of Jesus' love because of. And then list whatever comes to mind. You did that wrong. You're not good enough, or your sin, or whatever. The enemy is bent on accusing. Secondly, we need to know that the dragon is bent on deceiving. Not only does the dragon want to accuse you and have you live under that accusation, the enemy wants to deceive you and have you live under that deception. In verse 9, it says this, the great dragon who was thrown down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. How? Through this work of deception. Friend, um, do not get yourself tangled up in bending truth. Do not get comfortable with white lies. There are no such thing. Daryl Johnson says, to get caught up in playing games with the truth is to get caught up in dragon's games. You and I are called to be people of truth. The third thing we see in this text, and we must 
acknowledge about the dragon. The dragon first is bent on accusing you, is bent on deceiving you, and thirdly is bent on destroying you. In verses 13, 15, and 17, we read about the dragon pursuing and then spewing water to try to sweep away, and then finally making war against. The dragon is absolutely grotesque and destructive. The devil, friends, is not a cute little cartoon or a nice little tattoo. The dragon is real, is menacing, and wants to take you out and destroy you. So it's kind of brutal, especially in a Christmas message, to give some time to the dragon. But there he appears in the nativity, in the nativity, and we find he's bent on accusing, deceiving, and destroying. So how do we make it? <laughs> do you see these three things happening in our world? Uh, sort of an accusing spirit moving around in our world. Do you see deceptiveness work, working its way through our world? Do you see destructiveness working its way through the world? Absolutely, I think we see that. How do we make it through the wild web that's in the world that we find ourselves in? How do you and I not get taken out by all of this or swept away by the dragon's ways? Listen to verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Three things that we see in there. Number one, how do we overcome? Don't be intimidated by death. We talked about this quite a bit last week as we considered the work of the two witnesses who were a picture of the church, the people of God who died for their faith in Jesus and his gospel. And we acknowledged last week that in our context, it's, it's very unlikely that many of us in this room or online are going to have to face actually dying for our faith in Jesus. But the way that Mark chapter 8 and Revelation chapter 11 speaks to us, and now 12 as well, would be this, that we did not love our lives so much as to not shrink back from being disliked for our faith in Jesus. The Western world church doesn't die often for its faith in Jesus, but we do at times feel ourselves hesitant because we wonder if we might be disliked because of Jesus and his gospel. How do we overcome in this world? Don't be intimidated by death. Don't be intimidated by not being liked for Jesus and his gospel. Daryl Johnson says this, death is not the worst thing that can happen to me. The worst thing is to turn my back on Jesus. Secondly, how do we overcome? First, don't be intimidated by death. Secondly, weld yourself to truth. Weld yourself to truth. What did it say in verse 11? They overcame by the word of their testimony. What was their testimony? It was their confession of Jesus, him and his gospel. Weld yourself to the truth of God. It is what will keep you from being swayed by deceptive forces in our world. When the chapter concludes with the dragon once again waging war, who does he wage it against? The offspring who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Fully embrace, not sort of like an open hug. Try giving a Christmas hug to some people like this this year. Don't bring your arms and just sort of go like this at them. It doesn't you know, offer the same kind of security, does it? There's not really that same sense of connection, is there? 
Why? Because you must hold on to each other. Hold on to the testimony of Jesus. Three things we're called to to overcome. Don't be intimidated by death. Secondly, weld yourself to truth. Third, the blood of the lamb. Now this is interesting because we've been told things we can do, but you can't do this. It's been done for you. How do we overcome? The reality is we have very little strength in and of ourselves at all to overcome. It took a little lamb, a picture of weakness, who became butchered on our behalf for you and I to overcome. How do we handle the blood of the lamb? We receive its work and we trust its work. It is ultimately the lamb that protects us from the dragon. He has conquered the dragon already. So a couple questions as we move towards concluding today. First question is this. What's Revelation 12 actually all about? Two things, quite simply. Number one, Satan is thrown down. Number two, Jesus is real. That's what Revelation 12 is all about. For those of you who like making little notes in your Bible, because the next time you read devotionally a chapter in there, you're like, I know I'm probably going to get confused by this chapter when the next time I read it. Just write those two lines down. This is what the chapter is about. Satan's thrown down and Jesus is real. How do we see Satan thrown down in this passage? Let me just sort of not just look at the passage, but sort of back up and consider the whole book of Revelation. Some of you have journeyed with us through the last couple of years, so you've learned a little bit about uh, an ancient writing technique that was utilized from time to time to help ancients remember the point of something. It's called chiastic structure. So I want you to just see what chiastic structure is. There's a beginning to a story or a text, and then there's an end. And something about the beginning mirrors something about the end, either in an exact way or in an opposite way. And you can have several details leading towards a focal point that mirror each other. And wouldn't you know it, the book of Revelation appears to have a chiastic structure, the whole book. Now, there could be debate. You can do some research on your own on what the actual chiastic structure of Revelation looks like, but there's no arguing what the pivot point in Revelation is. What's at the focal point? So let's just buzz through this really quick. If you're the kind of person that wants to capture a picture of it, wait till you see the question mark disappear at the top and you'll see all of them together in one shot. So what do we have in the book of Revelation in terms of a chiastic structure? We have a prologue, which is mirrored by what? An epilogue. Then we have seven letters, and the second last thing we find in the book of Revelation, seven angels. Then we have seven seals, which is mirrored by seven bulls. Then we have 144,000 saints and seven trumpets, which is mirrored on the other side by 144,000 saints and seven angels. Then we have two witnesses, which is mirrored by what? Two beasts. Then we have the woman. Now we're in chapter 12, which is mirrored on the other side of the focal point, by the woman. Then we have the dragon, and there's words about the dragon, and then mirrored on the other side of the focal point, the dragon appears again. Then what, and this is interesting, what happens? Now we go back to the woman one more time, and sure enough, on the other side of the focal point is the woman again. So what is at the center of Revelation? What's at the core of its message? We know it's about behold Jesus, but if there was something the ancient church was worried about, it's what if there actually wasn't victory? What if the enemy's actually on the loose through local governments, through empires, and the enemy is somehow still victorious or reigning in a heavenly realm? That's not the focal point. The very pivot point of Revelation is found in chapter 12, where the enemy is thrown down. That's good news. 
In fact, as John, under the influence of the Spirit, pens chapter 12 of Revelation, six times he speaks of the serpent, the dragon, the devil, Satan being thrown down. Isn't that interesting, number six, not number seven, six? We'll get into number six next year. It's a messy one in the book of Revelation. But in, in verse nine, the serpent, the dragon is thrown down. A second time in verse nine, the dragon is thrown down. A third time in verse nine, the dragon is thrown down. Then in verse 10, we read about the dragon being thrown down. Then in verse 12, we read about the dragon being thrown down. And then in verse 13, we read about the dragon being thrown down. Down. What's the point of Revelation 12? Satan is thrown down. That's good news. He's not on the throne in some heavenly realm. He's not on a throne on earth. He's still wreaking havoc. He's still creating pain and problem around us. But he is thrown down. Now the second part, remember Satan's thrown down. Second part is what? Jesus is real. How do we see this in the text? Remember I had you say a word twice. What was the word? Sign. Behold, there was a sign in the heavens, and we saw first, what? A woman. Then there was a sign, and what did we see? The dragon. And what is a sign? A sign points to another reality. We saw the woman, and she's a sign, and she points to another reality, right? The four-dimensional woman. And then we saw the dragon, and the dragon points to another reality. Not actually a dragon, but Satan. But when we're introduced to the sun... John does not say, and behold, I saw another sign. A son was born to the woman. No. Verse 5 says this. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron rod. This is not a sign. This is reality. Jesus is real. That's good news. Now, that's what Revelation 12 is all about. Let's go back to the very first question of the day. If Christmas is supposed to be about good news and peace on earth, why are things still so bad? Well, it's because Satan has been thrown down. He's been dealt his death blow. And as we see in verse 12, he's filled with fury and he knows his time is short. So he's not like somebody waiting in the waiting room at the dentist or something like that, just scrolling on his phone or... He's creating a mess because he knows what's real. He knows what's true. Daryl Johnson says it this way. It's because the dragon knows the gospel that he's enraged. That's why things are so bad. The dragon is on a desperate rampage. In his death throes, he's unleashing what evil is left. Friends, we must be reminded Jesus said this, in this world, you will have thalipsis, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus speaks and says, I saw Satan fall. He was thrown down like lightning. In 1 John 3, Jesus, it says of him, the reason the son of man came was to destroy the devil's work. And then in Colossians, it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he being Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Christmas reminds us that the baby behind Dave Snyder, the Christ child, is a dragon slayer. Which I think helps make sense for us of some of the funny lyrics that appear in Christmas carols, one being called God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. 
I offer this to the merry gentlewomen as well. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Tidings of comfort and joy. Amen. we conclude today, I'm going to invite those who are helping on our prayer ministry team to come and make themselves themselves available at the front here. You may be in a place where there's a particular burden or a concern in your life for you or something you're just thinking about. Don't leave without praying with someone about that. It's good for your soul to be in agreement in prayer with somebody and these people would love to pray with you today. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then we're going to wish each other a Merry Christmas for the first time this year. Father, I thank you for each person gathered here today. I pray for blessing on each household, blessing on every marriage and every family and ch children and grandchildren. Father, we pray that there would be a new thing, a different thing that happens this Christmas season because of the work of your spirit in our lives and in our world and in the Comox Valley. We're heading into your world on your mission. We need you. We need each other. We want to see the good news of Jesus fill the everyday stuff of life here in the Comox Valley. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Now, I don't know if you keep track of your Merry Christmases. Um, I usually am quite conscious of the first time I say Merry Christmas. Now, I let one slip, but it was unofficial yesterday. There was the person, you know, with the Salvation Army, they were ringing the bells, and so I wanted to say something, you know, like Merry Christmas to them. But I, I kind of rescinded it quietly afterwards because I need to this year give my first Merry Christmas to Laura, who's upstairs there. Merry Christmas, Laura. And now that gives me permission to give my second official Merry Christmas to all y'alls. Merry Christmas. And now as we leave, would you turn to one another and wish each other a Merry Christmas. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Kids, parents, let your kids, don't rush them away. Let them practice between services. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.